A big jump in COVID cases and new restrictions on the table. We are alert to hearing from Dr. Bonnie Henry on what changes need to be made. What's being considered as other provinces clamp down. Long lines for COVID screening. Two hours I've been waiting here. How getting a test could test your patients. And life-saving plunge. With all his strength, he just pulled that door and got it open. The dramatic crash into a backyard pool and the Surrey Mountie, who's being called a hero. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with the worsening COVID-19 situation in our province. B.C. is seeing a big spike in case numbers. We have 753 new cases today. That is double the number of cases we had this time last week. The total number of cases since testing began is approaching 225,000. 184 people are in hospital. That is down by nine. And there are 70 patients in critical care. There have been three new COVID-related deaths. We currently have more than 3,800 active cases and 82.5% of British Columbians aged 5 and older are now fully vaccinated. Well, with those case numbers rising, pressure is mounting on the province to ramp up restrictions. But as Richard Zussman reports, the timing couldn't be worse, with so many people planning long-awaited holiday get-togethers with family. Underway here at the Bell Centre. The Montreal Canadiens are now on the ice at home. No fans in the seats. Omicron cases are spreading across the country, and so are restrictions. The B.C. government now considering if Rogers Arena and other venues will be next. Whatever is going to be in the interest of the best interest of British Columbians is going to be our decisions, knowing that uh, when we have to make those restrictions, it's going to have big impacts on the sector, people, jobs. Provincial Health Officer Bonnie Henry set to provide an update Friday. This could include new restrictions around big events and more. Quebec also announcing Thursday capacity limits at 50% at bars, restaurants, theatres and movie theatres. I would argue that you know, the, probably the safest place to be is in a restaurant. You know, we are, you know, in, compared to last year, you know, we're, you know, we've got the mask mandates, but we've got the vaccination mandates. The real theater says it can manage at 50%, but needs time to make the switch and inform customers. We need to know these changes quickly, and we also need some time to adapt. You know, if they're going to make an announcement tomorrow, I hope it doesn't come to effect the same day. Sports teams, both major and minor league, arts and culture, tourism, hospitality, have been among the hardest hit by the pandemic. And if, in fact, they are included in new restrictions, they will need support as well. If we can't go to full capacity, then we definitely need some subsidies to compensate for our wages and rent. Restaurants and bars making one last push to be excluded from any new restrictions. It doesn't really make sense. You can have a party at home with dancing and music for 49 people, but one single person going to a bar or restaurant has to show the double vaccinated. So we think we have the right protocols in place for the hospitality industry. So I hope that we'll be able to do business as usual for New Year's Eve this year. With Omicron already spreading in community, all industries bracing not just for new restrictions, but also what the variant may bring. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Now, there are two COVID-19 hotspots in our province right now setting the stage for these potential new restrictions. For more on that, let's bring in Keith Baldry. Keith, which health regions are we talking about and how big are these increases? 
Yeah, the increases are substantial. So for months, Vancouver Coastal and Vancouver Island really didn't have a lot of COVID-19 cases. Our pandemic was really active. Our, our case number was really active in the north, in the interior, and Fraser Health. That all changed in the past week with some big numbers. Here's what we're talking about. Vancouver Coastal, in the, in the last four days alone, uh, 617 cases. That's an increase over previous four days, uh, the week before, of 431 cases. 459 cases in the last four days in Vancouver Island, an increase of more than 205. These are numbers just not associated with these two health authorities, thought to be tied to house parties, to uh, the UVic rugby team coming back from a tournament in Queens and bringing the Omicron variant back into the community. Uh, so this is a big reason why we're likely to see more restrictions. Well, we, we are going to see some restrictions tomorrow. Not entirely clear which ones we're talking about. An Omicron update, 135 Omicron cases have now been confirmed. 70 of those are on Vancouver Island. Uh, they've tripled in just four days. So if you do the math, we could be looking at 1,200 Omicron cases alone uh, this time next week. This virus is going up in number. We're probably going to break our all-time one-day case number of more than 1,300 cases set back in April. It's almost a certainty. Well, and the way things are going, that uh, new record could come very soon, too. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. B.C.'s education minister says several options are on the table when it comes to the return to school after the Christmas break because of concerns over Omicron. Jennifer Whiteside says the options include a return to the policies in schools from this past spring. We are going to have to continue to work with that with parents, with families to encourage uh, families to get the information that they need to make the decision that, that, they need to, that they need to make. And, you know, again, we'll be working with, working with public health, working with, uh, with, with Dr. Gustafson, Dr. Henry and her team on what we, what we need to do to ensure that, our, that, that schools are safe for the return in January. And whether that means that we see some of uh, so, uh, a return of some elements of, of the plans that we, that we had in the spring, I will, will, certainly we'll be looking at all of that. A double whammy of COVID concerns is making for some very long lines at testing centers all across B.C. Kamal Karmali joins us live tonight from one of those testing sites where many people waited for hours today. Kamal. Sophia, a rush of people heading to testing centers in the past couple of days. Take a look at this lineup. It goes all the way down this block and around the corner. And if you follow me here, you can see where it ends up at this Canby uh, testing center here. Now, yesterday it was so busy that staff actually closed this center down two hours early because they said they didn't have the staff to keep it open any longer. Just as busy, if not more today. We're used to seeing long lineups at ICBC centers, but nothing like this. But online it said about an hour and 40 minutes. A surge of vehicles snaking around several blocks in North Vancouver, all to get COVID-19 tests before the holidays hit, so they can breathe easy while breaking bread with family. You know, we're going to see our, our parents, his grandparents, and we'd rather have a peace of mind. But the rise in people rushing to get tested also due to the rise in cases of the highly contagious Omicron variant. I'd rather just being safe than sorry. How long do you anticipate uh, until you're at the front of the line? Probably a few hours, maybe. Here at this clinic in Canby, another lineup stretches around the block. People waiting hours for their COVID test since it's too expensive to order them instead. It's like $58 for five of them. So obviously that's not sustainable. Patrick Doherty has been braving the cold for two hours, but is steaming mad he's forced to be out here because the BC government isn't providing free take-home rapid tests until mid-January. That's after the holiday season and it's too late. 
So a little frustration at the province for not doing it earlier? Oh, it should be, yes. We'll be seeking and are seeking uh, more rapid tests than we'll be in January. While BC has been doing that, other provinces, like Ontario, have been handing out free take-home tests for the holidays. What is really upsetting to British Columbians is that other governments have figured it out. Leader of the opposition, Shirley Bond, pressing the province to get free rapid tests into homes sooner and open more COVID-19 testing centres so people aren't waiting long hours to do exactly what the province asked them to do. They're asking British Columbians to do everything they can to reduce transmission. They need to be doing exactly the same thing when it comes to the provision of rapid tests, the provision of testing. And for those who waited hours to get the test, a Christmas wish for the gift. There will be peace of mind once I test negative, hopefully. Of a negative result. Kamala, with so much demand, is there any word on whether more testing sites will be opening up? Yeah, a bit frustrating. We asked the province time and time again today that exact question. They did not get back to us on whether they will be opening more testing centers to alleviate some of these crowds. And when it comes to those take-home rapid tests, uh, Sophie, uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix did say uh, yesterday that uh, there was a manufacturer issue and they did not get as many uh, take-home rapid tests as they thought they would. So that's why uh, most of them are coming in in mid-January. Back over to you. All right, thanks for that, Kamal Karmali reporting in Vancouver. Now to BC's toxic drug crisis. Right now, six British Columbians are dying every day from an overdose. Public health officials and the province's chief coroner have all said that access to a safer supply of drugs will help. But as Rumina Dea reports, two prominent doctors say their offer to provide a supply of clean heroin is being ignored. This is frankly a crisis. I'm acting under the emergency provisions of the Public Health Act of British Columbia. It's been almost six years since Dr. Perry Kendall declared a public health emergency. BC's former top doctor, now a heroin importer. So you've got the supply here? Yes, it's in Canada. So sitting and, and, and not being used? Sitting in steel drums. Kendall and his business partner, UBC professor Dr. Martin Schechter, have imported 15 kilograms of medical-grade heroin, diacetylmorphine, from Europe. The founders of Fair Price Pharma asking the province for the green light to distribute clean heroin, saying the current safe supply is not effective. Six people dying a day from poisonous street drugs. The province is spending more than $100 million a year on oral drugs, and their results are mediocre at best. It is viewed as a magic bullet. Safe supply without a treatment strategy, making the overdose crisis worse, says critical care physician Dr. Delbert Dorscheid. If that's all we're doing, you know, providing an endless supply of safe drug, Most of us struggle where the good outcome is going to come. The focus of harm reduction, too narrow right now, says Dorscheid. No one path is going to work. That's why we need multidisciplinary care. Mental health, you know, just general health and wellness, nutrition, those sorts of things, counselling, detox if necessary, and safe drug. So what's the government's next move? More than 8,000 dead and counting. The province not commenting on Dr. Kendall's request, only saying they are exploring increasing the use of clean heroin. Romina Dea, Global News. 
A special weather statement is in place for Metro Vancouver ahead of a system that could bring more snow. For the details on that, let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon. Christy, what's coming for us? Well, Sophie, we certainly know that a moisture-laden system is moving in and it is going to bring rain to a lot of areas. Freezing levels are going to be hovering again around two, 300 metres. And so that means that we have the possibility of snow even over lower elevations. Here's the forecast for right now. So we're talking about Friday night, Saturday morning. Concerns are for people that are maybe out holiday partying this weekend. So we're talking about zero to five centimetres for Metro Vancouver region with that five more likely over higher elevations. Big concern for areas north of Squamish along the Sea to Sky Highway where 25 to 35 centimeters of snow could fall. So it could be a significant system. We're again, we have to wait to see if that freezing level drops or not. Sophie, well, we're going to be on the verge as we always seem to be as of late with these snowstorms. All right, we'll talk to you in a bit. Thanks, Christy. Two mysterious disappearances with one thing in common. One person hasn't been seen since mid-October. The other has been missing since late November. The clues investigators have to go on and the connection between the two cases in just over a minute. For Hydro to say we didn't understand, Global News was covering this every night. An unwelcome surprise for a family recovering from the Sumas floods. Why their power was shut off without warning. Later. Plus, an SUV crashes into a Surrey swimming pool. How quick thinking saved the lives of those inside. Right now, though, police are investigating the mysterious disappearance of two people associated with the Ferry Creek anti-logging protests. And while there's no mention of foul play at this point, their families are growing more, more concerned. Here's Paul Johnson. What happened to these two people? Bear Henry and Gerald Kearney, both missing and with no clues about their whereabouts. Henry and Kearney had both been participating in the Ferry Creek protest movement, which has seen more than a thousand arrested trying to stop logging in old growth forests on southern Vancouver Island. Gerald Kearney, also known as Smiley, was last seen October 13th walking between two of the protest camps. He's a 61-year-old white man with shoulder-length gray hair, 5 feet 4 inches tall and 210 pounds. Two different searches, one assisted by a police dog and a drone, have failed to locate him. It was his best friend that filed a uh, missing uh, report with the uh, police. Rose Henry is the aunt of Bear Henry, last seen in Lake Cowichan November 27th, but whose van was found on the logging road leading to Ferry Creek later that day. Henry is a 37-year-old Indigenous person, six feet two inches tall and 300 pounds. Henry had been at the protest camps at least twice before and was known to be familiar with the area. A lot of people, you know, they fell in love with Bear because he has a very, um, you know, happy outlook on life. The RCMP told Global News Thursday that they, along with the Victoria Police Department, continue to be on the lookout for the two. While the circumstances of the disappearances are similar, police have no reason at this point to link the two cases and have not said they suspect foul play. The Ferry Creek area can only be accessed by logging roads that wind through thick forest and steep mountainsides that are out of cell phone range. 
While people have gotten into trouble in previous environmental protests in B.C., two people missing without a trace in the span of just a couple of months is worrying and possibly unprecedented. Paul Johnson, Global News. Up next, bitten by Bitcoin. What I didn't know was that this person could also get into my online banking. The cryptocurrency scam that wiped out a Nanaimo senior's savings. Also ahead with rising food prices eating away at your income. How to be strategic when you're stocking up. Busy in both directions again tonight at the Portman Bridge. It's winter maintenance that has the HOV lane blocked in both directions and actually seeing major congestion for eastbound traffic on Highway 1 from Burnaby. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital, Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jubison in the Global Traffic Centre. An Nanaimo senior who wanted to learn more about cryptocurrency has lost his life savings in an elaborate scheme. And he's warning others not to fall for the same scam. Kylie Stanton explains. Yeah, isn't that something? It started with a little curiosity, then a little money. I thought, well, maybe I'll invest a minimum and see what happens. $250 later, Robert Dunning was signed up on a cryptocurrency trading site ready to watch his investment grow. As soon as the next day, a phone call came in, and they continued every weekday after that. So that sounded pretty legit to me. But with every conversation, Dunning provided more information, unknowingly allowing the individual on the other end of the line to access personal information and bank accounts. This went on um, over a period of two weeks, and I got no warning from the bank. Um, until I was at a grocery store and my debit card was declined. He went straight to the bank, only to learn he had less than a dollar in his accounts. His checking and savings drained. Line of credit and credit cards maxed. The total, more than $100,000. And the bank is not even uh, offering any assistance. Um, so there, I don't know what I can do. I'm, I'm really stuck. When reached for comment, BMO said it's unable to discuss individual customer matters. Nanaimo RCMP warns these scams are rampant and there's often little anyone can do to recoup the losses. Education is key. Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre has uh, dozens of frauds are being perpetuated across Canada. You have to educate yourself and be careful. But after learning of Dunning's situation, many people have come forward asking how they can help. Dunning is retired and unable to return to work due to ongoing cancer treatments. A GoFundMe is now set up, giving him a glimpse of hope. It reminds you that there's still some good people out there, you know, that are, that are willing to help, and which I would do the same if I was in the position. At the very least, he hopes by sharing his story, he's able to protect yeah. someone else from falling victim to a scam. He's learned his lesson just a little too late. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A new survey shows the vast majority of Canadians are worried about rising food prices and believe their income isn't keeping up. As John Hua reports, most say those concerns are going to prompt them to fundamentally change their habits in 2022. Filling a need for children and families who rely on school meal programs has never felt heavier for backpack buddies. 
Our monthly food costs on average have risen about $7,000 a month beyond what we budgeted for this year, and we know that that's not slowing down. The increased cost of items used to make sure children aren't left hungry over the weekends, only half of the problem. Higher grocery bills for everyone means more demand for services like this. What's happening to families at the grocery stores and at the till? You know, those who may have been on the brink of food insecurity, these things can tip people over the edge. According to the annual food price report, the average Canadian family could spend $966 more on groceries in 2022 compared to this year. Almost 90% of those surveyed believe food prices are rising faster than their income. We are expecting a huge bump with dairy, bakery, and vegetables for next year. Charlebois says supply chain issues, labor shortages, and higher input costs are all factors that are causing food prices to rise. Employers uh, or the economy overall will continue to adjust salaries so people can afford a roof and food on their table. Until that happens, families are looking to change their shopping behavior, including using coupons more, dining out less, visiting different stores for deals, buying in bulk, and purchasing soon-to-expire foods at a discount. Go often, more often, buy less, and you'll, you'll waste less at home. At Backpack Buddies, every creative solution has been explored. Every dollar already stretched. Ultimately, right now, it's about donations, so we can keep up with, with the rising cost of food. With food price projections for the new year being far from positive, any kind of lift now to help keep families from hunger will go a long way. John Hua, Global News. Well, it's the season of giving and returning or exchanging if that holiday gift just isn't quite right. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more advice on returns. Thanks, Sophie. While most stores do offer refunds and exchanges, policies vary depending on the retailer. Fortunately, though, the Better Business Bureau says during the pandemic, many businesses have become more lenient in their return policies. Here are some tips to keep in mind. Find out if the store has a return policy and how it works. Are returns or exchanges allowed? Will you need to pay a restocking fee? Ask the seller if they offer cash refunds, exchanges, or in-store credit. Get details on the product's warranty. Most electronics and home appliances come with warranties to be fulfilled by the manufacturer, not the retailer. Who ships the item? Will the retailer ship the item to the manufacturer for you or will you need to deal with the manufacturer directly? If you can, include a gift receipt. But remember, a gift receipt doesn't obligate someone to get a full refund. Stores are not legally required to accept exchanges or give refunds unless the merchandise was defective or misrepresented. There's no law that says that you as a consumer are entitled to get your money back if you've changed your mind or even, you know, exchange it for something like minded. So if you are buying something and you're not sure if they're going to love it, then I would ask the store, find out their policies and, and make sure you're comfortable with those policies. Also, remember to bring ID when making returns, as many stores ask for it to avoid holiday return scams. And don't delay making returns. Almost all return policies are valid during a certain time period. And some stores may only offer certain times to do a refund or exchange during the, during the busy holiday season. So plan accordingly. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. Up next, feeling powerless against BC Hydro. 
We were trying to recover, and they just went and pulled the rug out from under us. How a flooded-out Abbotsford family suddenly found their power cut off. And later... So the two, top two girls? Oh, there's that coach. Sorry. The coach who can't see how he lost his sight just as the season started and his incredible determination to stay in the game. Another busy night through Burnaby on Highway 1. Eastbound traffic is backed up from Willingdon past Kensington through Coquitlam to the Portman Bridge. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A family on Sumas Prairie who were among the thousands of people forced out of their homes by flooding say BC Hydro is adding insults to injury. As they have worked to repair the damage to their home, they suddenly found themselves in the dark. Aaron MacArthur reports. It's been three weeks of hard work just to get this house on the Sumas Prairie to this point. It will be weeks more to make it livable. Yet, in the middle of what amounts to a total interior renovation, BC Hydro crews shut off the power. No warning, no notice. Kelly Sansalone showed up this morning to find out they were pouring concrete in the dark. They just showed up unannounced. Uh, at the end of, late at the end of the day, we were here until about 4, 4.30 last night working, and they came after that and shut off our power without even contacting us or telling us or giving us a chance, actually. The Sansalone family tried to get answers from BC Hydro. An electrician had already been on site and signed off on any safety concerns. Contractors have been working here without issue. As they were trying to sort out their own home, hydro crews showed up at Kelly's parents' house, ready to cut service there too. Making sure that it's safe for the home. Instead of answering the family's reasonable questions, after seeing a global camera operator, hydro crews just left the house. The safety concerns apparently not that pressing. So this was the first opportunity that uh, our crews had to go in because the floodwaters were too high previously to get in and inspect some of these homes. So the bottom line is, in this instance, they must have discovered something that was unsafe. Kelly Sansalone can understand if there are safety issues, but the total lack of communication from BC Hydro is only adding insult to injury. I feel like they're making a bad situation worse. You know, people are trying to recover. They're trying to get on with their lives, to come in and just kind of turn off your power when you're trying to get your life back in order. It's, it's so angering. BC Hydro says if an electrician can verify safety, then the power could be turned on within a few hours. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, with the focus on COVID testing since the start of the pandemic, other important screenings in BC have dropped off. But that's about to change, in one area at least. The BC Centre for Disease Control says due to an urgent need, it's launching a new express testing service for sexually transmitted infections. With clinic closures and staff deployments, there has been a sharp drop in STI testing in BC. But an online testing service has noted an increase in positive tests in recent months, especially for syphilis, which is at record levels. The pandemic did lead to a short-lived 
uh, I think, a short-lived period when people weren't maybe dating, weren't hooking up, weren't having sex, maybe. Uh, but I think that was short-lived, and I think people, people really are back at it. Still to come, a beloved coach facing sudden blindness. I started crying, and I'm like, this may be the last time I see you. In his darkest moments, how his players helped him to see the light. And up next, a dramatic rescue from a Surrey swimming pool. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. An accident that easily could have had a tragic ending was averted thanks to quick-thinking bystanders. An elderly driver lost control and crashed into a yard, plunging into a water-filled swimming pool. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the couple in the vehicle are alive tonight because of the bravery of others. Car came crashing through here, the marks through the lawn. Surrey homeowner Gordon Trombley describes the tense moments Wednesday after a vehicle crashed through his fence and into his pool. Inside the SUV, a couple in their 80s. I jumped in the pool uh, to try and get the driver's side door open uh, to no avail. The water was only 38 degrees and soon Trombley needed help. Fortunately, a nearby neighbour pulled him out. The two then struggled to keep the SUV from sliding into the deep end. I helped pull Gord back out and then we, we busted out the back window and I kind of reached on to the back of the truck with all my might and just held on, tried not to let the car sink too far down because the guy, was he was up to his neck. Like, he had his head back. You can see the water level right on his jaw. Moments later, as the driver slipped toward unconsciousness, a member of the RCMP arrived. Came in. Dropped his gear, he said, anybody in there? Yeah, still a guy in there. Jumped in the water. With the water inching up the elderly man's neck, Constable Nguyen-Gonpo pried the door open and lifted him to safety. Then he went back and rescued the woman. He is a true hero. Uh, he jumped in the water and he went to work. Wow. I can't say enough for that guy. He was awesome. The couple was taken to hospital and later released in good condition. A crane was needed to remove their SUV. As for why it ended up in the pool, police say that remains unclear. What is clear? The couple is extremely lucky to be alive, thanks to the heroics of neighbours and Officer Nguyen Gonpo. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now with a look at that weather forecast. Nice to see some blue sky today, Christy, but uh, not sure how I feel mm -hmm. about what might be on the way. <laughs> Yeah, especially since it's right in time for the weekend. Um, you'd love to have snow now that the kids are going to be out for Saturday morning. But, you know, Sophie, it's just going to be mostly a slushy mess. So I want to show you this photo that came to me today. It's from earlier this week in the Port McNeil area. Guylaine sent me this. She was trying to save her snowman. And I think that if we do see snow Friday night, this is kind of what we're going to need is an umbrella over your snowman to be able to save it from the rain that would likely wash away. So let's have a look at what's on deck. So 
we're talking about zero to five centimeters. Best chance of seeing that would be over higher elevation regions. Uh, lower elevations, it's just a chance of snow Friday night into Saturday. We're definitely looking at snow north of Squamish, the Sea to Sky Highway up to 35 centimeters. Heavy rain expected across the west coast of Vancouver Island. And look at all the snow for the inland regions, up to 40 centimeters for North Columbia, uh, Rogers Pass, Kootenai Pass, significant snow in through the west uh, Kootenai region as well. And heavy snow for inland sections of the central coast, north coast as well, and very cold still in the far northeastern part of the province. So this is definitely a winter storm. It's just as always for the south coast region, it's kind of just on the verge. So tomorrow will be dry. It's not until tomorrow evening that we're expecting that system to push in, likely starting as rain, transitioning to snow in some areas at lower elevations, and then transitioning back to rain as temperatures warm up on Saturday. So it's a pulse, but definitely for those of you in through the interior regions, we'll see that snow. Again, tomorrow looking mostly dry. In fact, some areas in the interior will start off with sunshine. You'll see increasing cloud later in the day, whereas it will be mainly cloudy across the south coast, but cold, holy, a high of only three degrees in Metro Vancouver. That's the chance of snow when that rainfall pushes in uh, sort of Friday evening into the overnight hour, Sophie. Um, heads up, the next big system that I'm watching is Wednesday. So stay tuned for that next week. But in the meantime, watch for snow for Friday night. And here's your central windows weather window, which shows the beautiful North Shore Mountains once again with all the snowfall. Pretty gorgeous. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. A Metro Vancouver CBSA officer is making a big donation to a cause that is close to his heart. I found an opportunity to do something for other people. And um, at the same time, it helped me at, at the same time. Back in early November, Sachin Lati ran 100 kilometers in under 15 hours. His run to remember hit all the land border crossings from Chilliwack to YVR, raising more than $20,000 for the Royal Canadian Legion Foundation, which provides crucial equipment for veterans. So how it started, I was dealing with my own anxiety and depression. And um, I was... I'm a very active person, and during COVID, I wasn't able to do a lot of the stuff that I was able to do. Um, I normally train jiu-jitsu, lift weights, and things like that, and um, I wasn't able to, and so my anxiety and depression was starting to overcome me, and I needed something to do. So I started running, even though I, um, I've always hated it. I've never been good at it. Well, Lati says he's already training for his next fundraiser for the Legion. He's planning to run across Canada in 2025. It's a long ways. Canada is a big country. It is a big country. I too hate running. <laughs> I'm not but. sure if anyone really <laughs> truly enjoys it. It feels good after you're done. It's just the starting up part. Yeah, and he did a great thing for, uh, for veterans, so for that's sure. good. All right, Barry is in for Squire tonight. The Canucks on the road. One game only, though, Barry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, no one got hit harder than at COVID in the NHL than the Canucks last year. They will play in San Jose. So far, so good with no more new COVID positives. And the handful that did test positive and stayed back here in Vancouver are doing just fine. I think what we went through last year is uh, a lot more different than, you know, just yesterday. So the mood is upbeat in San Jose as the Canucks play their first road game with Bruce Boudreaux as head coach. And later, a high school basketball coach proving you don't have to see to believe in your team.
All right. A lot of hockey news. Some of it not necessarily hockey related, uh, COVID yeah, related, uh, but let's start with the actual game itself. There's a lot going on, as mm-hmm. we know. So thanks so much. It's uh, all systems go for the Canucks tonight in San Jose. No further positive COVID test to report. Right now, four players are in COVID protocol. Brad Hunt, Luke Shen, Yuho Lamico, and Tucker Pullman, along with assistant coach Jason King. That does leave some holes in the lineup, but it could be much worse, as the Canucks know all too well. Game day skates are part of the regular routine for NHL players, but the last couple of days have been anything but routine. It's been a nervous time for Canucks players, wondering if they will be hit by a team-wide COVID outbreak. But it seems the Canucks have avoided a repeat of last year when the team was shut down for a few weeks. Not only have there been no more positive tests, but those who are in COVID protocols are experiencing very mild symptoms. It's not like it was a year ago um, at this point where guys are, are really, really sick. They've got the, they've got the COVID, but uh, as far as I know, the symptoms are pretty mild. I think what we went through last year is uh, a lot more different than, you know, just yesterday. Um, you know, it wasn't really too bad. Um, thought it was safe enough to travel and come here today and play in today's game. So, um, yeah, I think uh, that's all you got to worry about right now. And, and like I said, we got to make sure that we're staying clean and being safe. There's more good news. Defenseman Tucker Pullman, who was pulled mid-game against Columbus because of a positive test, has been negative the past couple of days, and there's hope he could return Saturday against Toronto. But tonight, the Canucks will be down half their blue line, meaning call-ups Guillaume Brisebois and Noah Juleson will play in San Jose. They're all good hockey players. To get to the American League, to get to the NHL, you got to be pretty good. And so, I mean, do what they uh, do what they did to get here, and uh, um, if, if they do that and try not to do too much, um, then I think we'll be okay. We, we don't want the new guys trying to be Quinn Hughes out there. I mean, just do their job and they'll be fine. It's the Canucks' first road game with Bruce Boudreau behind the bench. It's only been five games over 11 days, but the transformation has been startling from a team that found ways to lose to one that is truly confident they can win every night. You know, he's, uh, he's come in and he's, you know, he's been great. Um, he's communicated really well with all of us. You uh, can really feel the belief in, in everyone in the room, including him. So, uh, like I said, it's, it's been great so far, but we got to keep it going. No word yet if the Canucks game Saturday or the Vancouver Warrior games tomorrow night at Rogers Arena will have any crowd restrictions. The Canucks released a statement this afternoon saying it is status quo as of now, but they will follow any guidance from the provincial health authorities. In Montreal tonight, no fans were allowed into the Habs-Flyers game at the Bell Centre. The Quebec government made the request and the Habs obliged. It'll stay that way until at least the new year. Third period, 2-1 Flyers, but Laurent Dauphin scores. His first goal is a hab, but no one was there to cheer it. They're in the shootout tied 2-2. Now in Edmonton, they're allowing full capacity, so it's different all across the country. Winnipeg's going to have full capacity as well. Oilers trying to snap a six-game losing streak. Two power play goals from Yesipul Yarvi in the first, and uh, they are leading now 3-0 over Columbus, who of course blew a 3-0 lead to the Canucks the other night. Up until today, the Seahawks had never had a positive COVID test in the past two seasons, which is an incredible feat. But today, two players, including top receiver Tyler Lockett, did test positive. That puts his status 
for this Sunday's crucial game against the L.A. Rams in doubt. The B.C. Lions have released their schedule for next season. It'll start on June 11th at B.C. Place against Edmonton. They'll be back to a full 18-game regular season rather than the 14 they played this past year. The only team that won't make an appearance at B.C. Place is the Montreal Alouettes. English Premiership today from a full house at Anfield. Having a lot of COVID issues in the EPL as well. Manchester United with some games cancelled, but Liverpool played. Bad giveaway here, and Mo Salah will score his league-leading 15th to make it 2-1 Liverpool. And then in the second half, how about this? Trent Alexander-Arnold from 30 yards out smashes one to the top corner. Liverpool win 3-1. They're in second, a point behind front-running Manchester City. And we'll end with a wild NBA finish last night in Oklahoma. Canada's own Shea Gilgis-Alexander hits a near-impossible three-pointer to tie it with 1.4 seconds left. That was pretty good, but this is amazing. New Orleans Pelicans' Devontae Graham from 61 feet wins it. The longest game-winning NBA shot on record. They've only been holding the records for 25 years, and that was quite a finish. Wow. And we just wanted to get one more late Canuck news in. Stan Smeal has been named VP of Hockey Operations. So basically he will be an assistant to Jim Rutherford. They still have to hire the general manager, but good to see that uh, Rutherford is keeping a Canuck icon in the mix. And speaking of that, the Sedin twins will continue to be consultants. And uh, you know, they're doing a pretty good job so far, 5-0 and under the new regime. Seems to be working out. All right. Thanks very much, Barry. Up next, the Langley basketball coach who had to pivot quickly when he suddenly lost his sight. It reminds us all to be kind, to lift each other up, to speak up for those who don't have a voice. Let's celebrate our diversity. The CKNW Kids Fun Pink Shirt Day, presented by Global BC and 980 CKNW. Visit us at pinkshirtday.ca. Our next story is one of courage and heart. A Langley High School basketball coach suddenly lost his sight just as the season was starting. A devastating diagnosis. But in his moment of darkness, his players showed him the light and got him right back in the game. Jay Durant has his inspiring story on This Is BC. Stay back! Reverse! Reverse! With his son Jaden by his side and his players there for support, Sheldon Guy is still doing what he loves. Middle, easy middle! Just three weeks after, his vision quickly started to disappear, leading to a heart-wrenching moment with his son. And I just looked at him and I'm like, this may be the last time I see you. And so that was at the stairs. So, sorry. One step. Anterior ischemic optic neuropathy is now claimed sight in his left eye, six years after a different ailment took the vision from his right. Three steps. Sheldon was able to adapt the first time, but this was a darkness he had never experienced before. I was in the hospital and I just, I just thought about popping pills and going to sleep and never waking up again. But then the messages came from family and friends and his players from Langley Secondary. One of the girls said 
the only reason I joined basketball was because of you. And she said something like, I don't even like basketball. <laughs> Izzy, who's that? Sarah Morrison. Hey, how are you? How are you doing? Come here. Now, early into their new season, they're finding ways to do this together. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> okay, ladies. Longtime friends in the basketball community are just learning about what has happened to Sheldon. And the fact that he shows up <laughs> and it's just happened to him, and I don't even know all the details, but I know the guy that he is. And hey, ladies, if you have the ball, ball fake, see where the defense goes. Take it! Take it! Sheldon Guy says basketball has saved his life, and now for a second time, he'll find a way to prevail. He can see some outlines, but doctors say it'll never be the same. Let's start pulling and start taking some shots, okay? Guy Go. isn't about to give up. Natural paths say there is a chance he may be able to reclaim a percentage of his vision, and that's the hope he'll always hold on to. I will see you again, 100%. We can do this conversation in your office. I'll walk in there myself. I will see you. So I will see you again. Thank you. Oops, sorry, sorry. Good job, ladies. Jay Durant, Global News. Wow. Definitely wishing Sheldon all the best. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. What an amazing story. It's nice to have the uh, support of a team mm -hmm. when you're going through something like that. Definitely, definitely. All right, uh, we will... This is, this is our team. This is our team. We support each other. We do. We do. We got your, I got your back. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll give the final word to our weather team member, Christy, for a, a look at what's coming up. Yeah, so Sophie, this is me give, uh, giving a heads up to everyone at home. I've got your back too, letting you know that we do have the potential for snow Friday night into Saturday morning, and it's always going to be on the verge. But be aware, Saturday morning could be a little dicey. All right, well, looking forward to it, I think. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for joining us all.